Welcome everybody to another episode. Uh, today we have one of the, my most favorite people in the world, uh, fellow brown man, Cruz Sage. I like I was thinking about how to introduce you, but I'm like I always call you Cruz Sage. I don't even like <laughs> know his, what's his full name. Anyway, uh, uh, Cruz Sage, owner of Pound for Pound Mixed Martial Arts. Uh, you know. OG in the Muay Thai community, former fighter, businessman, entrepreneur, uh, on top of all that, family man, and he still works a regular job, so superhuman altogether. You barely get him to sit down for to, to talk to him because he's so busy always doing stuff. Uh, Crew Sash, how are you doing, but? I'm I'm great, man. Great to to finally make it on the show. You know, yeah. I know you've been plowing away at the podcast, and and I've been saying for the longest time I'm, I'm gonna be on there. I'm gonna be on there, and uh, you know, it's always been tricky to just find a minute to to make some time, even for for other brown folk like you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, no. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so, to be here. Uh, okay, so all right. yeah. Your phone connection yeah. is good? Okay, because it's cutting out a little bit. You good there? All right, okay. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, people don't know about you and your business is that um, you guys have been around for extremely, extremely long time. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, fitness, martial arts, gyms in general, the average lifespan is, you know, five years at that. And then most of them end up closing down um, per permanently just because it, it's it's a rough business in general, right, to just be in. Uh, now, obviously, the last two years have been a clusterfuck of, I mean, we don't need to get into all that kind of shit, but with the COVID and everything and what's it like running a damn business, especially one of the ones that have been so dramatically hit by lockdowns uh, and, you know, measures and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, to touch on what you said, like just to begin with, um, you know, the average lifespan of a lot of martial arts gyms that they don't stick around for too long. Uh, you know, five years or something like that, and for various reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think every martial art that originally opened up, you know, and most most businesses too, they started from a, a passion. Yeah. They started because there was a martial artist behind it. They 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 enjoyed whatever martial art it was that they did, and they said, "I'm going to start. I love it so much. Whatever it was, Muay Thai, Taekwondo, Karate." And they said, I'm going to spread the love and my knowledge and open up a business yeah. and, and pass it on. And then I think what happens is that there's a line where, you know, uh, you realize, hey, this is more than it's more about. It's not just about what I like. It's about money. <laughs> it's about it's about a business. There's a there is a real business side of it too. And um, you know, the thing the thing is it's like when you get into those deep waters, um, you know, now it's not about I'm I'm losing I'm losing you a bit. Can you hear me? No. 
and twenty twenty hits. What, yeah, what'd you What'd you just say? Your internet okay, connection. Hello? Your, your you connection. Got I got you now. Yeah, your connection kind of oh, died. Okay. Hold on. Okay, sorry about that, man. We, you know, we get cheap Wi-Fi here at the gym, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I lost. We're I to save money, <laughs> but uh, where'd you lose me? So, I, I lost you. So basically, um, what I was saying. Is, I lost you at the passion part. After passion, then became business, and then. Okay, so yeah, basically, yeah, be, you know, they realize. You know, guess what? This is uh, this is harder than I thought. It's not just about selling the martial art. They and you know, the businesses that kept going are the ones that kind of pivoted and found different ways to make a little bit of money through yeah. their you know through their gym. Whether it's you know uh, they're gonna sell sell more gear now, or you know, like us, we we also brought in uh, physiotherapy and and other other means and, and avenues of just kind of generating some some uh dough to get us through a little bit of hard times and whatnot and then like i said 2020 came along boom covid hit and you know what nobody knew at that time what we were in for nobody knew that it yeah. was going to be this big i even think like the first time we got locked down you know i i was kind of like okay this is great you know what we actually had to come back from thailand we cut our trip a, a day short. We had one of the guys out there training for a fight. We came back, and then the next day I had to shut the gym down. But yeah. I, I was kind of like in my head, okay, cool. You got a break, right? With this because I need a couple of days anyhow to just right. So I thought, okay, great. I can uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use a couple of days to just readjust. No one knew that it was going to be these rolling fucking. <laughs> Lockdowns. lockdowns and how long we were actually going to be locked down for yeah. right so so we, yeah it was one of those things where your bankroll right like at the end of the day just like in a casino you're not going to sit down at a, at a at a blackjack vip table with with 500 bucks it's yeah. going to be gone in two hands you know what i mean so i mean yeah you know uh, yeah so you try to make your money stretch you you kind of you know, you borrow from where you need to borrow from to make it happen till something else comes in and you start to juggle a little bit. And some people are better at it than others and some gyms get through, right? And it's just unfortunate that, you know, this kind of hit us. And as you probably know, Ashton, there's other gyms that, you know, shut down and couldn't even make it through the first lockdown, yeah. right? That was, uh, well, that what was is, unfortunate. And what was the... Um what was the because i know you were in contact with a lot of different owners and uh uh in the community what was the major factor that was missing from their business models of why they were struggling was it simply they were putting too much attention strictly on you know teaching and just memberships or was it like do you think that fundamentally some of the businesses were just not like taking care of like savings and sorry you're cutting i said uh i was saying yeah i was saying um do you think that uh some of the businesses uh martial arts especially hold on hold on yeah yeah Yeah, the connection is kind of dying is that better yeah i can hear you now okay okay i was i was just saying do you think that um because of the nature of martial arts business most of the owners were putting too much emphasis on to training and just taking care of their current students and then not really focusing on other aspects of business like 
maybe investing, maybe even putting money aside, savings, expanding, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so so, uh, so there, there is a balance with that. Um, you know, the students you currently have or do have, you know, out of the love, you're always going to want to teach them. And, you know, you've invested into them. They're like your children. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the need to grow and keep new money coming in. Yeah. Right. Because like it or not, every student has a lifespan. Okay. So like no one lasts forever. It's not like, uh, you know, 50 years from now or 30 years from now, or if you even get that far, they're going to be around. Yeah. Um, usually 99% of them won't be anyhow, but there's a lifespan to it. So, you know, you got to keep the people that you currently have happy. So there is the balance of teaching. And then you also got to work on your business and think about ways of generating new people coming in through the doors, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the trick. And I think if you fall too much one way, that's where you run into problems. Okay. Right? Yeah. If you're always working on your business and promoting it and marketing it and all that, that's great. That's good. You'll get a lot of new people coming in. But then who is going to take care of these people? Yeah. So, and conversely, you know, if you're always working on just the people, I'm I'm losing you again. That you have with your gym, and you won't have people coming in, and then you're gonna fall into the problem of paying the bills. So, yeah. you know, it's uh it's a tricky balance, and I think some gym owners haven't figured that out yet. Um, some do really well at it, and 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 they're really doing good on all aspects. They they generate great fighters. They understand the martial art game. And, uh, you know, they're financially stable, right? Yeah. So, you know, it takes a little bit of um, movement and, like, figuring it out at first. And there will be some trial and error, yeah. you know. But uh, th there are some people, like, that, you know, out there that have that balance anyhow. And it just takes a, a while to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm losing you. You got to go back to, like, go next to the Wi-Fi box. Where's the Wi-Fi? <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> this is cheap, cheap gym internet <laughs> at your finest. Hold on a second. Yeah, go next to the Wi-Fi box. That's fine. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying because I think that a lot of martial art businesses lack some of the, um, the technical business skills uh, beyond just teaching, right? And and putting it out right. there. Because uh, mo, uh, like a lot of the time, it happens in generic fitness too. You have somebody who's a good coach or a good trainer, uh, and they just they have a good clients, and then they just open up a gym, right? And yeah. then they end up finding out that uh, it's not strictly just about teaching or coaching anymore. You have to keep four walls around you. You got to keep the door open, and that's right. You know. And obviously, rolling shutdowns doesn't allow you to build that up, right? Uh, nah. And uh, I mean, unfortunately and it wasn't even the way. It wasn't even the way. To be honest with you, I like I don't know if we should even be getting into it, but it didn't even really. Man, these rolling shutdowns. 
I get it. You know, they're trying to keep um, hospitalizations down and ICUs and everything. Yeah. But you know, they get. I guess the government's trying to do the same thing: balance, you know, the economy with people's safety. But shutting down the businesses <laughs> that wasn't the solution. The way that was handled was bad. Well, yeah, and uh, it and killed I, a lot of martial arts gyms that will never see the light of day again. And I, I mean, without getting too much into that, again, though, the one thing that baffles my mind is that, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, the focus the governments were doing was on health and wellness, right? They were starting to push, you know, eat organic foods, exercise regularly, follow all this kind of guidelines to live a healthier lifestyle. like. I mean, gyms were booming and the health and like health and wellness industries in general, like, you know, organic foods, all that kind of stuff that that industry was at all time highs. Right. For the reasons being that, you know, exercise in general and a healthy lifestyle is what keeps you healthy. Right. But then we kind of hit this wall where, I mean, the first shutdown, I understand. Um, but then we hit this wall where it was like, wait, wait a minute. None of that matters anymore. We're going to just shut it down because we view it as a high risk. But it wasn't um, accounted for that the other aspects of fitness and martial arts, especially martial arts that people come to you for, they come to you for a sense of community, right? Uh, you know, there's a big difference between a gym like yours and a good life fitness. Good life fitness, you're bringing people in out you know, they're lifting weights, they go out, they get their exercise in. Yes, great. Uh, places like yours, even CrossFit gyms, gyms that do classes, um, they build a sense of community among people. And like... Um, so you cut out. Yeah, Hello? They, so yeah, so what I was saying is like a gym like yours, CrossFit, places that do classes, they build communities. They build um, relationships with the members with the the instructors with the teachers and it becomes a place where people go to escape reality basically like you go to work you 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 have kids at home but you take an hour hour and a half out of your day or every other day or whatever the case to come see you know your instructors people at the gym and it gives you that sense of community and i think that was lost for a lot of people and yeah. and and i mean governments don't understand that because let's face it most politicians don't work out. They don't. Yeah. Ex- they don't exercise. <laughs> they don't exercise. Look at our, our our wonderful premier, right? When was the last time he did a lap? Right, never. But um, they don't understand that. So it was easy for them to chop it off, like yeah. right at the top. And they don't under. And the negative consequences, especially for kids, is going to be um, like. Cute. Uh, huge uh, adults or whatever adults we can make it through we can talk to each other you know there's we can help each other out but kids don't have that communication they don't go and talk to other kids about you know i'm feeling depressed because i can't go train at the gym right uh, so i mean do you do you see that uh, a decline in kids programs already happening across actually to be honest with you um when we did reopen we had a rush with our kids programs um because i've had a lot of parents come up to me and they said listen my kid's been stuck inside yeah those he hasn't been interacting with anyone and now he's at a point where he wants to take him to the gym it's not even about martial arts now yeah. now he just 
run around with other kids, right? Yeah. Because he's missing that aspect of his life. And that, that's the one great thing about martial arts. We were allowed to have contact when we did reopen. Yeah. And, you know, I had parents just come to sign up their kid just so that they can interact with other kids. They know little Billy wasn't going to be, you know, Bruce Lee or, yeah. you know, uh, the big champ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just like, we don't care about that. We want our kid to interact with other, other kids. And it was the networking aspect of it. You know, you touched on something else about the sense of community that some of these martial arts bring as well. And, you know, it's funny you said that because, you know, if you look at things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, yeah. one of the, the things, the base fundamental needs that are on there next to like, you know, food, shelter, water. Yeah. Is a meaning for belongingness. Yes. Right? Belong to something. Right to belong to, and you know what? This is why kids also get involved with gangs. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, right, because they still belong to something. They belong to that color, that creed, whatever it is. Right, and if they don't have that, they're missing something. Yeah. So you know, I mean, everybody needs that sense of belonging. One of our fun fundamental basic requirements after food, shelter, water that uh, we look for that we we kind of urge, you know. Um, really need within our lives and if you cut that off it's detrimental especially for young kids yeah down the you know and i really think it was downplayed how detrimental it was to younger kids and especially like for 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 me i'm i'm an old i'm older i taking time off is not a big deal right but when i look at if i was to rewind my 18 year old self right for example <laughs> where I was, my whole goal was at that time to play football. I wanted to play football. I wanted to go to university and play football. I wanted to pursue professional level, whatever, right? And there's yeah. tons of kids like that, tons of kids, where they ended up losing the last, what, grade 11 and 12 years of sport. Their chance where they could have got scouted, they could have you know, built highlight reels, to sh to show to other schools, universities, rep programs, to make those dreams happen, right? And and those were taken away. Like, uh, I mean, I know amateur fights will come back, but yeah. I wanted to ask you about the repercussions on amateur Muay Thai in general. Now that we've had two years of lack of competition for those athletes, yeah. So. There was a lot happening, actually, um, behind the scenes. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard, uh, you know, the IOC just recently reckoned the Muay Thai and uh, kickboxing. Into yeah. the so what that meant, meant really was, okay, cool. There's work to be done. There's yeah. a lot of people out there, uh, young kids that, that are, you know, that have tons of potential. And, uh, you know, would like to represent their, their country, but the groundwork that has to be established behind it, you know, with, um, with all these associations and getting every country on the same page yeah. so that Muay Thai or kickboxing is ready for an Olympic stage, right? Yeah. It's another story in itself. And this pandemic didn't help in pushing that forward. Um, you know, I know 
they were gunning for 2024. That's not going to happen. No, I don't <laughs> think that happen. Um, just given the timeline, given the amount of work that needs to be done. Well, have they even established a set rule set yet, or that, uh, things like that? And it has to be, you know, right across the board and whatnot. And and you know, uh, the pandemic, you know, not being able to communicate and slow down. Oh, well, you know what? Competitions did take place. Uh, yeah. Started opening up like the worlds were in Italy for the wackos, and um, you know, uh, contact sports started to come back, and then they quickly got canned again. Canned again, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's not making it any easier to get to the Olympics for twenty twenty four. Maybe twenty twenty eight. Yeah, um, there'll be a dinosaur. Me, I'll just be. <laughs> I'll, I'll be retired by twenty twenty eight. Yeah, but uh, maybe got that football scholarship but i see you know with the hat you're wearing i don't know how much you know this hat is in peaceful protest they should be allowing uh teams that finish last in division to play in the afc championship that's the peaceful protest i'm having today (laughs) uh but back to the olympics i wanted to i mean i found that this year i think this past year they had karate for the first time right and it ended up being a big embarrassment as a martial artist, in my opinion. Um, not because of how they ran it, right? But because of the rule set. Like, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, the I think it was one of the very last uh, matches in the karate final. An American was fighting somebody, and the American got knocked out with a head kick, right? He got knocked out with a legitimate karate technique that's used in active competition used in any martial art fight whatever got knocked out and he was disqualified for being too aggressive and the american got the medal and was all happy and shit and was like and to purebred martial artists to people who compete mma to people who compete kickboxing whether it be amateur you're looking at that and being like what in the fuck are you guys talking about too aggressive like it's a legit. It wasn't an illegal technique. It was. Yeah, um, I, I, I saw what you're talking about, and you know what? Yeah, it was a great kick, and all. It was a fun. Uh, it was a great kick. Yeah. My so, con- my concern with it, and I'll, I want to express my concern, and I know because you are part of uh, WICO and all the organizations that will be coming up with the rule sets and kind of the the way it's going to be playing out in the Olympics. My concern is that the pure. Purity of kickboxing and Muay Thai will get diluted for what we would call positive viewership. You know what I mean? And I believe that that's the only reason that that kick was not allowed is because the guy got knocked out. And, you know, you don't want people to be like, oh, no. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, it's martial arts. So what are we talking about here? You know what I mean? So I think the way it works is like, uh, you know, it is a shock for the general public to yes. see get KO'd. To you and I, <laughs> we see it yeah. every day, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, but it is, you know, a huge shock for somebody who's not um, well-versed in the game to see something like that. So the way things work, and, and I remember when um, Muay Thai was first sanctioned in Ontario, everybody, everybody, didn't matter how, like, how many smoker fights you had back then, but when we first got sanctioned, everybody wore a chest protector. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're a badass dude. 
you're wearing a chest protector. Chest protector, yeah. And headgear. Yeah, and all that jazz. And it was things needed to start with high stringent standards to appease the government, to appease and show everybody, hey, we're we're doing a sport here. Yeah. But there's safety protocols in place. And then as time goes, these restrictions get lifted as you build a a safer track record. Yeah. And then and also at the same time, people become a little bit more desensitized. To, to some of the violence that might occur in martial arts, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it, it's going to happen in stages. Like, you know, I'm curious to see if, like, come the next Olympics, if, like, the same kick were to happen and the same scenario play out, what would happen down the road? Like, would it be the same outcome? Or yeah. would they, like, oh, no, sorry, you got KO'd, you know, and... uh and and hand the the award to the the right person. I mean, you know, and I think it's just it's just in stages. And unfortunately, that guy's ahead of his years. Then, <laughs> so so basically, you think for for anyone who's uh, has the same skepticism that I do right now, you're just saying basically be more patient and kind of we just kind of kind of get this. Let's let's get it in the Olympics first. It's going to be watered down. It's not going to be the same version of um, martial arts that we're used to seeing at a high level in certain tournaments that we do locally. Um, but it's going to be watered down. But give it some time uh, and let kind of let let it let the, let it play out in the system and let these athletes kind of like show that it could be on the world stage and recognized as a safe, effective sport. And basically, that's what you're kind of trying to yeah. say, right? Yeah. I think so, especially when it comes to the Olympics, they need to show that it's a sport first, yes. more, more than, you know, some, uh, some, uh, yeah, act of violence or something like that. No, they, they got to show that it's an Olympic sport and it is, yeah. it is, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they want it to be at its purest form in this. Well, I don't want to say purest form, but they want it to be, um, digestible for yes. a lot, of, you know? And, uh, you know, that, that's basically it. And that's part of, you know, viewership as well. Now you get into TV and, you know, ratings and, you know, what sells, what doesn't, you know, and why, like even here in Canada, you know, one of the the biggest sports is, uh, is curling. That's, I know my, my father, my father-in-law is all about curling. Like we'll go over, he's watching curling sometimes and it's his house. I can't say shit, right? Can't be like, turn that shit off. But I have to sit there and I'm like. Uh, and then he but, turns the channel and I'm like, fuck yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs> ah. But, but you know what? It, it's funny because you and I both like things like football and basketball and, and, you know, Muay Thai and whatnot. Yeah. But across Canada, we're a small demographic here in Toronto. Like we don't represent Canada really. I mean, sure. We're multicultural and it's a great city, amazing city. I love our city. Try but, saying that to uh, the people who like. I'm I'm going off topic, but like you said, like there's so many seats in Toronto and Quebec that literally we ruin it for the rest of the country when it comes to politics. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, but but what I'm getting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I'm getting at though is like you know nationally across Canada, you know the viewership. It isn't basketball or, or, or football. It's curling, it's you know, curl, curling and hockey, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
you know, curling is like really number one. It, it, it takes viewership. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. Um, so, you know, I, I get it with uh, going back to the, the Olympics and how, you know, they need to make things viewable and whatnot. Well, speaking of viewership, one of the things that Muay Thai and kickboxing in general has had a problem with is in North America specifically, because this doesn't apply overseas, as we both know, um, it has a hard time getting viewership. And that's why, like, you haven't seen many leagues, uh, organizations um, thrive in, in North America. And it's kind of weird, because if you sit and watch a UFC event, right, Mm-hmm. And the guy takes another guy. Say, let's hypothetically say you got Damian Maya, jiu-jitsu ace, and friggin' let's pick a, a rest, one of the best wrestlers, you know, Tyron Woodley, right? Two, uh, two grapplers. The, the fight ends up going to the ground most of the time, and they all boo, right? Okay, yeah. I get it. Now they're standing up, and they're fucking throwing haymakers at each other, and everyone's cheering, and they want blood, and that's exactly what they want, right? So to me, that in my in my martial arts head, that shows me okay. You want kickboxing? You want to you want to see a stand up fight? You want to see a brawl? You want to see guys? That's what Muay Thai and kickboxing is. So it's always baffled my mind, and I wanted to kind of hear it from like an expert in the industry of why kickboxing never caught on, but MMA caught on. Like MMA became this big thing because you know everyone wants to see blood and punching, kicking, but then. When you give it to them, it they're like, it, no, sorry, that's okay, we'll pass. Like, I don't understand. Why has that been a North American trend? Okay, so I think you're right, number one, that North American uh, people, we tend to side more to, you know, stand up. Yeah. In general, whether it's boxing, kickboxing, even stand-up MMA, that aspect of it. Generally, I think it's easier for people to understand i punch someone they feel it yeah right as opposed to we're on the ground now and the technicality of you know you put me in the leg lock or something they might not see yeah right well i mean i've had to argue with people plenty of times like i used when i was growing up i used to watch ufc's at the bar right and the guy would get taken down and you'd be like, get up, get up. I'm like, if it was that easy for him to fucking get up, don't you think he would just get up? He's not, do- he's not doing anything. No, he's putting in frames. And then I had to like stop yelling at people at the bar. I'm like, just shut up, Ashton. This is when I started ordering the pay-per-views myself because I couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, yeah. But like there's some inch, small intricacies of wrestling, grappling, jiu-jitsu, judo, all those kind of grappling arts that are not TV friendly, put it that way. They're not yeah. viewer friendly. Like nobody's gonna say, "Oh, he put it in a frame," unless you're in Japan. Obviously, those people love it there. But um, so right. I, it always baffled my mind if that part of the sport is not liked. Why don't people love watching kickboxing? You know what I mean? No, I mean. So the other thing I think behind it all is um, the marketing. Yeah, the marketing. UFC is marketed the hell out of and. They do a great job at it. They do a great job at building characters and setting up fights. And and that's why also, you know, they were pumping them out. As long as they could keep a good story plot running as well, you know, um, that always helps as well. Um, you know, but I also think they've they've kind of lost an audience too because they've pumped out so much and people can't keep up with what's going on necessarily yeah. out. And um, 
you know, so uh, I think part of it's marketing. And when you take things like uh, kickboxing and you're saying, why isn't it booming or, or Muay Thai? Why isn't it booming here? Well, specifically in Ontario, first of all, yeah, we don't have pro kickboxing Muay Thai. Not yeah. yet. Just amateur, yeah. right? L- Le- legally, correct, right? Legally. Legally. So that was no- that's number one, uh, the first hindrance, which, you know, I think things will change in the future and that will open up. And then I think at that point, you get someone in place to market it and promote, you know, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll grow. Yeah. But that isn't there yet. You know, it's funny because when I was down in um, uh, Italy for the Worlds, they, all of the refs and uh, judges, officials that were down there, the same weekend there was a glory fight that was happening in Amsterdam. Yeah, and they were like uh, right towards the end of the tournament. They're all leaving, getting ready. They're all like, like a lot of them are like, "Oh no, I'm going to Amsterdam right now. I have to do this glory fight." Yeah. The same. And you know, they're saying how there they had twenty five thousand people come out to watch the fights. That's massive. That's a massive crowd. Two crowds. So, you know, then they looked at before bringing glory here to canada you know and aside from jumping over the hurdles of getting it regulated yeah yeah. but they did some sort of poll and like they're like oh you guys would only get like five thousand people right it's not worth it it's not worth it right so it i think it's something that's growing you know because this wasn't even something we could talk about when i was a kid of going to see muay thai fights or you know what i mean like this was Whereas kids now, they're growing up with it. You know what I mean? And yeah. and I, that's that's part of my job too is just to spread this knowledge, spread spread, spread the love, spread right? the me- spread the message of how beautiful. I mean, one I always, I always go back to this fight. Um, it wasn't even a Muay Thai fight, but it was Donald Cerrone when he was fighting Rick Story, right? And he put off this like five punch combination, landed every punch, and then threw the kick at the end and ended up finishing him. But it was like a picture perfect example of how effective Muay Thai could be. It was like watching a video game, the the the, the transition. And for me it was like that was beauty. That was art, right? Yeah. Um for well, a, on the scene I remember me having good Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah, right? And so like for me it's like I want to see more of that. Like I just want to see those athletes. Now I do you think it's because some of the Muay Thai athletes or, or kickboxing athletes don't have the same personalities that, you know, mixed martial artists bring to the table or like, I don't know if that's the case or do you think so? Um, like uh, being a marketable person? Yes. Like, you know how like you have a Conor McGregor, obviously. Um, I don't think oh, kickboxing oh. has ever seen that. You know what I mean? A larger than life personality. Yeah. There, there, I think there is part of that as well. Like, you know, and then, you know, some of the best, uh, best fighters, you know, some of them that there's a language barrier. Or something. Yes. So it's hard for them to come out and, and shoot the gip and gab and, you know what I mean? And yeah, I know what you mean. Tell themselves like a Conor McGregor. They, that's not there. They don't have that. They, but I mean, you know what? That's fine. But then they've got to rely on the promoter, the producer of this event to, to market them for themselves, you know? As that that's not what they're for yeah. you know it, it's not about like that's great if you can shit talk and fight 
But that's not why you got into this sport. You got into this sport to, to fight, not to learn how to shit talk and sell yourself. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it's not up to them to learn that, that aspect of it either. Although, unfortunately, it seems like that's the way. Like, if you can run your lip, okay. Yeah, look at the, the Paul brothers in the boxing world right now, right? Um, yeah. But do you do you think that like one FC for those people who don't know one FC actually has bigger ratings and viewership than the UFC and Bellator combined? Uh, they're out in Singapore and they're doing something very interesting um, that I feel might be a very valid way to expand martial arts in North America. Is that when they hold a show, they have hybrid shows, so they'll have mixed martial arts and kickboxing on the same card and they're just doing it in the cage right yeah do you think that that might be a good strategy going forward for like mma promoters like local shows to kind of adopt that kind of a style of show i would like to know which local place yeah. <laughs> can think fight like that you know um uh, at least not here in Canada. You uh, you won't no, see. No, in the in the U.S. In, no, the U.S. doesn't give a fuck. They'll do that shit. But do you think that that might be the only way to kind of get the breakthrough that kind of kickboxing needs? Uh sure. It'll give them a little bit more, um, you know, uh, exposure, if you will. But yeah. uh, you know, I I want to say people that do watch MMA fights, they they do know what Muay Thai is. I'd like to think so. You yeah. know what I mean? At least to some degree. Um, they have a working knowledge, put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, there is that, you know, fight coming up with Mighty Mouse and, uh, Rotadang. Yeah. Rotadang. So, you know, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they're doing it and, you know, what one, one round, one round. Well, point. That, that one's a special case scenario. They're doing like a mixed round thing. I'm talking about like, if you have a card, uh, say you have fight night in New York, right? Like, uh, a local promoter, he does five kickboxing bouts. 10 MMA bouts on the same card. It's not like the hybrid, like you're not doing what uh, Mighty oh. Mouse is doing, but you yeah. just, you, you, you can sanction both separately. You have both um, governing bodies in the same arena doing the same thing, but you're giving fans uh, more martial arts, basically. Yeah. Because that's what 1FC does. They don't do the mixed crap all the time like uh, Mighty Mouse is doing. They'll have... Yeah. Um, kickboxing and it's just in a cage right they don't have the th but it's still kickboxing in its purest form yeah just in a cage as opposed to a ring uh do you think that would be kind of a good idea i, I think that's great and to be honest with you we've done things here in ontario where you know there was um boxing fights um that was amateur stuff that was sanctioned by boxing ontario and uh there was kickboxing on the same card as you're saying yeah and this was so it can be done and and i think it's great uh just for the exposure you know what i mean yeah. um you know and i think if you have if, to be honest with you i wouldn't be surprised if ufc pivots now that you know one has done that yeah if they have just a stand-up league because you know what i'm like i'd rather watch stand-up fights any day over mma fights that's just my preference uh, yeah, yeah and a lot of people too like in yeah. in some days i feel the same way depending on which boring ass fighters in the cage right <laughs> right i mean you know depending on the fighter and everything but like you know if if there was you know the mixed fights with ufc that would probably bring in more people you know yeah. and it, I mean, 
they started sanctioning boxing fights somehow. I mean, I don't know how that, you know, uh, their athletic commission works down there in Nevada. Like, I know they keep it completely separate, but if they can get them to sanction the same thing on the card, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like for North America, that might be the best way to go. Uh, yeah. Just based on, you would get more viewership and it would bring in more interest. Um, and I think that uh, people don't have that big of an attention span to like focus on 30 different different leagues. You know what I mean? Like if uh, North America was to have their own kind of glory, UFC glory kind of thing, it, it wouldn't catch on as much. But if these already established MMA leagues were to incorporate that. I think that probably might be the best option yeah. uh, going forward. Start it up, Ashton. <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me, give me the money. You know? <laughs> but, but uh, the, the other, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, we have Muay Thai and we have kickboxing, American kickboxing, Dutch style kickboxing. There's a whole bunch of different variations, just like there is any other martial art around the world. But I find, like, for kickboxing, it's more, right? Like, you, you, jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu. You got Brazilian and Japanese, right? Uh, wrestling, you have, you know, folk-style, Greco-Roman, freestyle. But kickboxing, there's many different kind of versions around the world, depending on where you go, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, your Dutch kickboxing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's variants of it. Sure. Um, which style, like, I know this is a very broad question, but which style do you think is the most effective, um, in terms of training, coaching and, you know, competition? Depends on where you're fighting and really, you know, whatever, whatever you're fighting in, um, know how to play the game, know what the rules are, know what yeah. they're looking for, right? And cater to that because at the end of the day, you're playing to win, yeah. right? Some some associations, they're looking for volume, right? Yeah. And that's what they, they, they score on. Other associations, maybe they, they like technique and, and power and aggressiveness more, you know? So, um, you know, you try to cater your game to ultimately gain the win, yeah. right? So no one style is necessarily better, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just, how are you going to fight to impress the judges? I mean, there's some places where it's just all about volume. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some, there's some um, organizations where if you don't even need to score damage, if you're just like, ah, uh, uh, touching point, and a point, point. Yeah. Like, you know, when you go to a Muay Thai fight, they're like, oi, oi, oi. And then they're like, he didn't, he's not even winning. Stop talking. Stop making those sounds. He's getting his ass kicked. But he's just, he just happens to be touching the guy. But the other guy's actually smacking him so hard. And then, it, but the other coaches are like making that, oi, oi, oi sound just to kind of give that illusion that he's winning. <laughs> you know what? You'd be surprised how that persuades judges quite a bit yes and i know i i know i know that's why they do it i just it's a sometimes you're watching the fight you're like i he's getting his ass kicked stop making those sounds <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah the, you know ultimately i don't think there's one, one particular style or, or or anything i think you just gotta cater to the game you're playing and know kind of what you're walking into to win yeah. you know yeah that's the main thing i mean there's there's so much there's so many good things out there and don't limit yourself either, right? Learn, learn, always. 
And when it comes to coaching, because you've worked with so many athletes, like including myself, um, what what do you find is the sorry? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to coaching, because you've worked with so many, you've worked with so many diverse athletes, young very young, all on the world stage, uh, national level teams. What did you, what do you find in terms of your coaching technique? Um, like in terms of drills, putting things together for athletes, like, like how do you structure it? How do you come up with that kind of coaching for the vast different kind of styles that you have to deal with? You know what? You got to look at everyone as an individual too, right? Um, everyone has different needs and where they are. Um, some people just need to go back to some fundamentals, right? Yeah. And and, uh, and go over some basic things because at the end of the day, what wins fights? It's some most of the time basic fundamental things. Yeah. Right. Um, it's nice when you get a highlight reel knockout or something like that, or some flashy kick that you know happened to land. But but basic fundamentals um, win fight. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, strong defense, uh, like in football too, Ash. Yeah, you I know. Know that. Um, no, Baltimore, Baltimore did not have a strong defense this year. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah. so, so you try to look at that individual and, and, and see what's lacking, see what's needed. Um, you know, I mean, this is where it sucks to be a coach because sometimes you have to point out the things that you don't want to hear. It's easy to compliment people and say, Hey, you, that was, you got a great kick. You got a great, that, this and that. Yeah. But it's, I have to say, Ashton, we got to work on this, yeah. you know? Which, which you've done to me before. Like, you literally yeah. said, like, you look like shit. Like, that didn't look good. You got to work on it, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, and you're great because you can take that, right? Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll, you know, you got to have some thick skin with it and you'll work on it and you'll get better at it. Cool. Sometimes it's not so easy and, you know, and, and sometimes the student, you know, might get offended or whatever. So you also got to watch your delivery with it. Yeah. But um, but ultimately, you're trying to help them on what you feel they need in particular for this fight, right? Um, you know, I think that's it. Uh, you know, obviously, depending on timelines and everything as well, um, where they are, you know, is there a weight cut involved, this and that. I mean, a lot of my guys, they, they know where their weight is. Uh, it's mostly like the, the, the experienced guys know what they're doing now. It's yeah. more amateur guys that might need a little bit more help with uh in terms of of little things i don't like my my amateurs cutting a whole lot of weight to begin with anyhow yeah uh, you know that's something that uh you know they'll learn down the road and also get a, a better understanding of their bodies and what they can do and their capability and uh, how they react to certain things but uh yeah I, I try not to pressure too much with the weight cut now as a i know as a coach, you're spending so much time with people, right? You're spending so much time with uh, with certain athletes, um, getting them ready, getting them in shape. Like, like most people don't realize it's it's more than a full time job. Like, if you're training for a high level fight, it's probably thirty hours plus training every week plus more. I mean, you're not there for all thirty hours, but you you know what I mean. So you're you you've you're emotionally invested into the fight with the fighter now i haven't been in this position yet and i will be in the future but 
how hard is it for you as a coach like when you have these people these men these women who are your friends that you care for they're going in there and you know unfortunately i mean it's happened to me you know they get knocked out they they lose uh they get hurt how hard is it for you to kind of separate the coach from the emotion part uh of the person that's competing you know what it, it's it, it's i mean it's it's all in one to be honest with you, you know, it all hits you like where did we go wrong yeah like that's thing. like that and that right off the top that even just tells you i feel like the onus falls a little bit on me when i say where did we go wrong you yeah. know what what didn't we do that we could have done to prevent that again yeah. strong defense right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh you know you start to uh, you know is it something we didn't cover is it something that we should have done you know and 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 you start looking at, at things like that and and you know there there is a little bit of uh it, it, to be honest with you sure i'm concerned about my fighter who's knocked out on the ground or yes, whatever 100 percent, yeah but i also have a, a in the back of my head I, I feel like okay for the most part they're healthy they're strong um you know uh, I, I hope they they're, they're gonna get through this and yeah. and once realize that they are fine and you know they come to their senses and they seem all right the doctor looks at them checks them out they're okay you know then it really comes back to man what did we do what did we do not 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 just the fighter but what did we do where did we fuck up yeah. you know and um you know even that one mma fight you had that uh you won yeah but i looked at it where it was a standstill and then afterwards, I was like, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we, you know, throw that overhand, like the clinch on? And, and you know, and I think I kind of spoke to you about that, where we still dissected the fight a little bit and said, why couldn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? It wasn't as critical as, and thank God, you didn't get yeah. knocked out. No, and, and right? I mean, my, like, I'm comfortable talking about this situation now, but my first amateur fight, MMA, I did get knocked out. Right. And um, <clears throat> when I got back from the hospital, uh, I met Chris, my coach, Chris, in the bar. He was at the bar drinking and he he, he was just like his face was flush. Right. Like yeah. he was he was he was not happy. Like we had other guys fight on the card and they all won. But he was not happy because he was. So he sat me down and he's like, because I got hurt at the end of the first round. Right. And he's like, would you have wanted me to stop that fight? at the end of the first and cause and that was his, his human side coming out. Right. Cause he's right. like, like in the future, like, you know, would you want me to stop the fight? And I said, coach, if you ever fucking stop the fight, you're not coaching me again. Right. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay. And, and I think like, it was at that point, like, I think a relationship between a fighter and a coach where there's like, uh, uh, there's like, you know, when you nod your head at a stranger walking down the street and it's like, yeah, mutual respect. You just walk, you're just being polite. It was yeah. like one of those moments where it's like, okay, you, I'm, I'm going to coach you forever until the fucking fight is over. Like, there's like, that was the point where he's like, we're taking all emotion out of this game. Yeah. And, I think at that point, though, he's still feeling you out. Like you said, this was in your amateur days. That was my amateur, yeah. 
Right. So now he knows what you're you kind of like where your head's at, what you're willing to go through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, wasn't that long ago? I just pulled. Um, I actually stopped the fight because it was this guy's amateur first fight. You know, I was helping him all, and he was just he went up against a guy who was like just outclassing. He should, you know, yeah. there was they had no business fighting each other. Yeah, put it that way. Like it was, it was night and day, and uh, you know, I believe strongly in the saying, you know, live to fight another day. Yeah, and you know, you grow in steps and whatnot. But at that point, you know, there was some something I had to take into account, like fighter safety. My my guy wasn't going to learn anything from that. Yeah, you know what? I mean? Um, you know, he wasn't going to walk out of there saying I learned a lot, or you know, even though I lost, like no, there was none of that. He was just getting his ass handed to him, couldn't handle any of it. Uh, so you know pull the plug on it and and i have no regrets about that and i think to be honest with you i think he was happy i see that too and i yeah. also know going forward how to deal with that that yeah. guy is right so you know um it is a fine line and it is a tricky call for a lot of coaches to throw in the towel or not to throw in the towel and you know and and how we feel and also about the connection we have with the fighter and what they can endure and what we know of them and how much they can take yeah. right and um you know, and knowing that as a coach is kind of like being in tune with your fighter, knowing what they're capable of, you know, and other guys like, you know, everyone has a adversity tolerance. Some people it's very high. Others are very low. And that's just in general in life too. Right. Yeah. That's just right. that's so indi individual differences. That's just human being human. Right. Just right. That's um, right. I know, I know you got to get going because you got that shit going on at the gym there. But uh, We got to reopen. We're opening. <laughs> we got to reopen. Um, but one of the things I wanted to to cover was like um, how do you, uh, as, as a coach, as a, somebody who's worked with so many athletes, ha have, how do you have to tell somebody maybe you should stop or maybe you shouldn't compete? Or this is not free. Have, like, how do you approach? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, a fighter maybe who uh, has taken one too many to the head, but you know they're young and they still want to compete. Or somebody who maybe just, I'm, I'm, you know, heaven forbid, you just suck and you're not that good, and and competing is well, not the best. Well, you know what? It's everything you just said, but you dress it up to be honest. <laughs> In all honesty, like you're sending the same message across. If you know this guy isn't ready to compete, yeah. right? Throw a proper jab. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't uh, circle out because whatever it is, he doesn't. He's just not ready to fight. He's eager. He wants it. Yeah, but you're not the coach. You're the coach. So at the end of the day, it's like it's your call. If you feel he's not ready to fight let him down in a nice way. He's not ready. Obviously you don't got to be like your shit. You're not yeah. ready. Yeah. You know, I mean? <laughs> unless you really don't want to dress, it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, say something like it's still time to improve. Right. Now, but uh, uh, what, what do you say to veteran guys who maybe have been around, but you feel like, um, cause I know this is an issue with most fighters. Most fighters fight beyond their years, right? Like they might be 36, seven years old, but their fight, age is 60 if you get what i'm saying like how how do you kind of approach that yeah so i think with them number one because they've been through it you can be a little bit more uh upfront with them you know again we're always trying to build people here just like the you know the first guy that you know isn't ready 
Yeah. You don't, you don't have to tear him a new asshole. Like you're trying to build him one day. He will be ready. Yeah. Right. For the veteran who's been around forever, you know, and his time is coming gone. I think the question is, is kind of why, you know, and, and dig into what is that? What is that? Like, why, like, what is the, what is the need? Like, to be honest, even with me and you, like, you see me in here. I'll still spar with the guys and everything. I'm 45 now, and yeah, and um, you know, there's always going to be a little fire inside of me. You know, is it is it is it to the point where I got to fight now? Uh, no, I don't think it would be right. Um, you know, uh, I'm not the same as I used to, and and sometimes I think with some of these veteran fighters, you got to point that out. And sometimes, yeah, maybe you do got to be blunt. Yeah. And say, Oh, you weren't as fast or you weren't as strong as you used to be. You weren't as sharp. You don't have to be an ass about it, but uh, these things do need to be addressed. And you do got to be honest as a coach sometimes. Which Do you think a lot of coaches kind of um, don't address that and let guys – because there are some – like the UFC is a great example for, for it, but um, I see it in kickboxing too. Like um, I'll use an example, but I, I love this guy, John Wayne Parr. Like I love the guy. Um, but he had no fucking business fighting his last like five fights. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, Nikki Olsen. Um yeah, that was that was kinda hard to see, uh and hard to watch that fight. Uh, I know John Wayne Parr, he's a great guy as well, but you know, um it's in him to fight, you know, and you can't tell somebody don't fight. I mean, he's like when you look at him, doctors look at him, he say that he's physically fine, he could fight. Yeah. I think I think it's gonna. At this end of the day, it's like try to just match it up where it's an even fight. I believe yeah. in even fights. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I think Nikki Holskin that was a, a big one to take on. Uh, you know, someone in this prime to someone who's kind of. Well, you know, I, it, to be to be fair, even though I love John Wayne Parr, it looked like an old guy fighting a fucking twenty-one-year-old. Like it, yeah. it, it didn't look like uh, an athletic competition. Like if if you were to say one guy's an like it didn't look like one guy was an athlete, and you know what I mean? But, yeah, but again, who are we to say? As long as John Wayne Parch healthy, he's got good vitals. You know, everything's okay. Um, yeah. Any fun? Yeah, oh. I, and I'm not criti- I'm not criticizing the guy. I just I just I, I have a hard time watching people deteriorate uh in front of my eyes in terms of their like their um their performances yeah right i i don't mind like you look at someone like george st pierre his performance has never decreased he just decided to to move on right but when i see a deterioration of performance it, it makes me kind of wonder what what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the people around him, the coaches, what are they kind of telling him? Are they feeding him? Oh, yeah, you look great. You look great on the pads, but really, like, you, you, you're slow. Like, you're... Yeah. And, and that's where you need some honest eyes. And and I think that's where, you know, a, a good coach will, will, you know, it's not about having a hype man beside yeah. you, right? Like, that's not a coach. That's a hype man. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why I got my girlfriend. Not joking, but... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, I think it's uh, I think it's 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 the hard part of being a coach is to be honest sometimes, but learning how to say it nicely. Um, you know, 
at the end of the day, though, too, there's some self-realization that the person needs to to understand or, or, or themselves. Um, but I, I mean, hey, if it's another, let's say, fifty-year-old guy that's going up against fifty-year-old guy, and they're both slow, ah! yeah, let's watch. Let's watch it happen. <laughs> <laughs> like like when Ken Shamrock and what was it? Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie did a like. I remember they did it at like sixty years old. It was like watching two old, you know, when the old people's skin just flops, and you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> but. Um, I'll let I'll let you get going so that you can get back to what you got going on over there and getting stuff ready. But uh, just let people know how they can find you, how they can come train with you, um, uh, if they wanted to reach out and and start working with you. And you're in Pickering, uh, Durham region, right? So Durham region, we're in Pickering, pound for pound. Um, the only pound for pound out there. Come check us out. Uh, just walk in, send us an email, pound for pound MMA at yahoo.com or. or- Come on in. Um, we're open to all levels, amateur to pro, and yeah. uh, work with everybody. And don't come in and say you want to spar. I've I've been yeah. there. I've been there, and I've seen that a few times. And yeah. I've seen, <laughs> yeah, I've seen his poor wife, poor Michelle, have to like sidestep these 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 grown ass men saying, "Hey, I want to come in and spar." And she's like, "Well." You have to come to the regular class first, and then the coaches, and then they get all mad because you're telling them they can't. Ju- so, yeah. don't we just walk can- into the gym and think you can spar, guys. Okay. Yeah, we rush right after a big UFC. You know what I mean? People yeah. get hyped. Yeah. Oh, well, I've seen. That's why I mentioned it because I've actually seen it happen, and then I see your wife's face, kind of like, shoot, I gotta deal <laughs> with this shit right now. <laughs> She's all right. Times, all right. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it a lot. And um, uh, reach out to him if you're in the Durham Pickering region because one of the best in the game. Uh, and I can't say enough good things about him. Okay. Thank you. All right. No problem. Uh, that's been another episode of Grind My Gears, and uh, I'm all done. Peace out. Peace. Thank you for watching. Please do me a favor. Click the like below. Share on YouTube. Share on Instagram. Share on Facebook. Spread the word so I can keep creating more content for you and keep providing you with a great podcast experience. Peace out.